1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 28 of the Footmarks podcast. I'm your host, Param Kazi, and with me, as always, is Jared Kimber. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter, and you can find Jared everywhere. So, the episode, or well, the title of today's episode is, How Did They Lose That?, which is a pun on Fazir Muhammad's commentary uh, when Pakistan defeated the West Indies all those years ago. Uh, the final miss you test. But basically, we're going to talk about the World Cup final and how India managed to lose that, really. And there are a bunch of reasons over here. But I'd just like to start off, Jared, by saying that India played their World Cup opener versus Australia, you know, and then they faced nine other teams. And then they faced Australia again in the final. So would you say that the Australian team that they met in the final had evolved from the unit that they beat in Chennai, you know, nine games ago? This show was brought
2: to you by HCL Tech, leaders in data and technology, and you can see their names right there on the sleeve of the Australian team. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, some of the Australians were saying, you know, no one believed in us and everything. The Australian team wasn't believing in themselves like <laughs> early in that tournament. So um, I I, can't, I don't think we can blame anyone else for doubting them a little bit along the way. Um, they didn't have a Travis Head in that side, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I think now we realize there was a couple of people like midway through the tournament saying to um to us on some of the lives oh uh, is travis head really that important and me and china like well based on his numbers in the last two years we're gonna say yes because no one else is doing what he's doing right um you know the ability to score at basically a strike rate of 120 while averaging over 60 or whatever it was mm-hmm. um it, you know it was remarkable how much he turned his career around um so that that was a big difference but but also they just didn't have any form right mm-hmm. like um they, we, we were talking about how they even getting into the semifinals saying they only had like five players in form. Um, you know, to start the tournament, I don't know if they had five, right? So, yeah. you know, it was a big, big difference. Um, Adam Zampa looked like he was unbowlable um, in the early part of that tournament. Uh, Cummins and Stark weren't doing particularly well. Maxwell was probably their best bowler at the start <laughs> of the tournament. Um, so, yeah, it was a very different team from, from the start to the end. Uh, weirdly enough, those two games um uh really really similar yeah um it's (laughs) just that it happens in in to the other thing uh team so you know like in india um restrict australia to a score that's quite easily chaseable Mm. then australia take a bunch of early wickets and then india cruise to victory and then the exact opposite happens in the Mm. final which does tell you sometimes how much conditions and everything else can play a part as well in in those sorts of games
1: absolutely quite the role reversal there that you've pointed out but one more thing that australia and you pointed this out as well did really well moving forward in the tournament is that at the start of the tournament their fielding was you know lackluster they weren't really putting the pressure Mm. on and they were Uh, allowing easy singles and whatnot. But towards the end, and particularly in the final, we saw that Australia were absolutely relentless in the field, right? They weren't giving India an inch. And they were basically saying that you're going to have to take a risk if you want to score some runs because we'll be diving and scrambling and, you know, pushing our bodies around in order to basically keep that pressure on. And I think that was one of the big uh, factors that ultimately led to Australia lifting the cup.
2: Yeah, you look at them in the semi-finals, well against um, South Africa, and you know quite early on, it was clear that they were fielding with a different level of intensity. Hmm. I think early on in the series, it wasn't just that they were not fielding with that intensity; that they had all the fielders back on on, on hmm. the edge of the circle, which is very t- 2015 style of hmm. ODI cricket. And to be fair, Pat Cummins is a defensive captain, so hmm. he probably is going to be like, "Well, I want everyone on the edge of the circle," but. You know, I wrote about this quite a lot that um, India, Netherlands, Afghanistan were very good and even New Zealand at times at just having their fielders in closer, which means that you had to punch the ball through, right? Mm. But in order to have your fielders closer, they have to all be like completely madly diving for the ball, right? Because otherwise it doesn't work. And we saw that at times with Afghanistan where where some of their fielding couldn't, couldn't maintain the pressure that they wanted to just because of that. And so... You know, it's it's a bit like, you know, and Australia is a little bit like a team that has won titles before that knows what, you know when it comes to it they will try a little bit harder at, at the mo- more important times. And there was, I think, there was an element of Australia in that. Perhaps in the middle of the tournament, you don't want to be diving for every single ball, right? <laughs> um, it's hot. You've got a long tournament in front of you and everything else. But once you get to the semifinals mm. and the finals, um, you know, you have that sort of. What Americans would call playoff intensity, where mm-hmm. everything ratchet, ratchets up, there's no doubt that Australia was much smarter with their field placings in the back half of the tournament, but was also completely backed up by an intensity and um, you know a, a, a combination of um, skill and um, energy hmm. that that stopped so many of those balls.
1: Yeah, that was most evident uh, when you lo- looked at David Warner, right? I mean, he looked like a spring chicken. A 17-year-old throwing himself around and uh, someone said that he might be available just as a sub-fielder for the next World Cup. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting how you brought in Pat Pat Cummins into that as well. How we've regularly spoken about him being a pragmatic captain, even in the Ashes. This was a, you know, predominant sort of uh, discourse topic. So in this game in particular, Pat Cummins with the ball, he had his best game, you know. Shit World Cup, let's be honest. He wasn't really turning Mm. up with the ball at all. And come final, he takes two for 34, does not concede a single boundary and accounts for the big wickets of uh, Shriya Sayar, who was in red hot form, and Virat Kohli, the biggest wicket on the day, pretty much. And it's interesting how, you know, Ravi Ashwin pointed this out that Pat Cummins was basically bowling to an off spinners field. So packed leg side field, and he had no mid off. And it's remarkable how he pulled this off. Also because he was pulling those eighty mile per hour off spinners, right? Those cutters, and none of his deliveries were coming to or, or proving to be too fruitful throughout the World Cup. But the slow ones, you know, he really maximized on those. And you'd have to say that's a tactical masterclass by Cummins.
2: Yeah, I mean, he tried it on other pitches. Uh, mm. it, it's funny. Very early on in his spell, I was I was on Cricket Eight at the time, and I said, "He's bowling like he did in Ranchi," and um, when he made his comeback. Mm. Um, to Test Cricket, where he bowled. Uh, and I, I specifically mentioned the ball where he bounced K.L. roll out with a cutter. Mm. And it was a cutter who that was still at over 80 miles an hour because of Cummins's pace, right? But the reason it really got K.L. roll is because it also deviated off the pitch, shot followed him, yeah. right? It was a brute of a ball. I mean, if you can ever go back and find it, it's, it's an incredible ball. And we've seen him try that before. The problem is that the, the, those kinds of wickets in India haven't really been around all that much, right? So, you know, if you go back to Lance Klusener taking a seven-wicket haul with cutters and, you know, we've seen some great spells of bowlers coming in and bowling cutters in India in, in the past, those wickets haven't existed as much. And Pat Cummins clearly came in with that in mind. of That's what I will do. And then he didn't come across a single wicket that really assisted any of those until he gets to the final. And then suddenly it's like, oh, okay, I can do this again. But as as Ash said, like the the ability to not set a field that essentially for an off-spinner and mm. then not have a mid-off and everything else. And if you look at the ball to, to Coley, it's essentially mm. no different than someone trying to cut an off spinner because all the fielders are on the leg side, so they're trying to get an easy, you know, couple on the offside. Um, and the ball just cramps him up and he ends up playing it back on. It's really is more of an off-spinner's wicket than it is a seam bowler's wicket. And I don't know how much credit to give Pat Cummins for all that because he definitely gets it for the skill and the execution and the field settings, but he had been trying this all tournament and it hadn't actually worked. And finally, he got a surface where he, he could do it. Um, it, it um, and that was the wicket, right? Like That's the wicket that probably stops them from scoring over 250, 260 um, mm-hmm. and really changes the entire game um, from there.
1: Yeah. And you trust Ravi Ashwin to pick up on these things because he mentioned how India do this in test cricket, you know, bowl to that predominant leg side field and, um, basically just try to cramp the batter whenever you give like, whenever you present some room on the offside. But it's interesting how he said that, oh, well, remarkable really that Pat Cummins didn't really bowl any wides down the leg side because that's what Ashwin said that is not a thing in test cricket. But it's quite impressive that that didn't happen in an ODI game either
2: also and, with the indian bowlers do it it's quite often because they come for very wide on the on the crease a lot of their bowlers are natural have that angle yeah. especially bumrah um, and and, and mohammed siraj the the other difference for what cummins is doing is he's actually uh, bowling it from str- a little bit str- closer on the crease but mm-hmm. then bowling the cutters mm-hmm. so it's slightly different even again to what india was doing uh, where theirs is a little bit more natural so yeah it's look yeah. <laughs> Cummins spent all World Cup trying to come up with a way um, to actually make his bowling work. Mm-hmm. And the
1: one game when they needed it, he did. Yeah, and I mean, he was taking pictures of the deck a day earlier. So clearly, he knew what was up. Of course, he called the toss right as well. And it's, it's really funny, you know, how India, with all this pitch discourse, you had the switch pitch and everything. And a lot of, it is blown out of proportion. We know that as well. But it's funny how in the final, they presented Pat Cummins with a pitch which was tailor-made for him to do exactly that. I think the irony yeah, is I mean, not lost there.
2: <laughs> no, definitely. And the whole thing about the pitch was, it was funny. I was talking to Nagraj from Cricket Info yesterday and, and I said to—I was talking to him and I said, surely if India wanted to doctor the pitch, they would have just made them spin sideways, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and he's like, yeah, of course. Like, if, if India was actually doctoring the pitches, that is not the pitch that they would end sure. up with. Um, and, and there are a lot of issues with ICC pitch curation when it comes to major tournaments mm-hmm. that I've been flagging up for since 2017 um and it definitely is an issue um and i'm not saying there wasn't interference because i think there was interference i do think people uh within um indian cricket were trying to get certain in fact you know without wanting to break any news i think there might be some people within the indian camp who are a little bit upset with that with that wicket and maybe they weren't even asking for that particular kind of wicket right um that people thought they might want something like Mm. that um so yeah, no, it's funny, and then the fact that it ends up helping Australia. And remember, the other important thing is here is that Australia read it better than India did. Mm-hmm. because India were going to bat first anyway. Yeah, right. So of the, you know, of all the outcomes, this is the least likely that Australia win the toss and make a better decision than India were going to make. Mm. That's uh, no one would have had that down on their on their bingo card. And 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 I suppose that's why it's one of the things I want to look at with this piece, right? And I know. I'm probably jumping the gun and you're like having to cross out questions. But essentially, the main thing is, oh, India choked. But there's a lot of things that happen in this particular game that no one could have really foreseen. Like a confluence of so many different things happened. Like who would have thought that Australia would have had the balls to bowl first um, in this World Cup final? Yeah. Like I'm, I was with Nikesh Raghani when that happened. We both looked at each other and went, what? Right. And, you know, Ashwin talked about going and finding George Bailey and asking him the same (laughs) question, right? Like everyone was thinking the exact same thing. There were so many little things like, okay, we're going to use this pitch, not Mm. knowing that it's going to make Pat Cummins unplayable.
0: Right.
1: Like all these little things that happened were so bizarre. I mean, I remember when we recorded, I think it was a Red Inker prior to the final. Both you and I were convinced that Australia need to bat first. Like you said, everyone pretty much was shocked with that decision. Estelle wasn't. Estelle called it. She's the one person mm-hmm. I know who called it, right? But uh, I just, like, before we go on to the other stuff and the whole India choking debate, I want to talk about this a little because, sure, the toss had a role to play, right? And the conditions are undoubtedly one of the reasons why Australia won. And Sanjay Manjrekar is not wrong, even if it's kind of a sore loserish look when you say that on TV. But it is correct. You know, the conditions did play a big part. But to your point, Pat Cummins read them to a T. And yeah. Rohit Sharma said that he would have batted first. Now, he could have also said that just to, you know, uh give his players confidence that, oh, we don't want to show any sign of weakness. We want to be this masculine team or whatever that we were going to bat first anyway. But it's very likely that he was just going to bat first regardless. You know, the whole runs on the both side. So... With respect to reading the conditions and calling the toss, how superior was Pat Cummins to Rohit Sharma? I mean, I mean quite clearly,
2: hmm. I think India were going to bat first. I don't think it was a macho thing. Um, hmm. So I do think you read that better. Also think that when you're the weaker side, it's actually more important. India could have won that winning the toss, losing the toss. Mm. batting first batting second making yeah. a mistake on the toss right australia kind of had to get everything right in order to win so i i do think that is a full part of it just to go back to san jay point
0: mm.
2: i think you're right but i i would say of to be fair to san jay mandraker compared to most commentators and people who work in the media mm. he's probably more of an analyst and what he said is mm. very true yeah the problem with that is that it is in the world, in a world of show of actor and, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and hot takes and, um, you know, Michael Vaughan and these sorts of people. When Sanjay Mandraka says something that is essentially more or less correct mm-hmm. in, in some ways, I think it was a lot deeper than that, which is why I went further with it. Yeah. But when he says something like that, um, people, that's not what people want to hear. What do people want to yeah. hear? India choked right? Mm. Um, And what Sanjay Madraker is saying is, well, if you look at the conditions, Australia got the better of the conditions. And I don't think there's any denying that at all. But within that, you also have to give Australia the credit for taking what
1: was the tougher decision. So Sanjay's exact words were that it was conditions that more or less beat India more than Australia or something along those lines, which is, I'm paraphrasing. But basically, I think what he was saying is correct. The way he phrased it, kind of made it look a bit excusey and not give Australia enough credit for that win. I think that's where yeah, they
2: should. And, and I would take it a step further anyway of mm. essentially World Cups are, and everyone who's ever listened to these podcasts will know I've said this a million times, but problem solving mm. events, right? So you know whether, whether you have a quarterfinals, semifinals and finals or you just have the semifinals and finals that you have to win three successive games or two successive games to be able to win this tournament. Mm-hmm. You know that you're Probably going to lose the toss. I mean, look at India versus New Zealand a couple of years ago, right? Incredible situation where they, no one going into that game thought that India was going to have to bat on the morning of day two, right? Like just things that no one really assumed would happen happened, right? And World Cups have those sorts of things. Go through the history of World Cups, you know, all these bizarre moments that have happened over and over again. What, What Sanjay is saying is right. But that doesn't matter because that's how you win World Cups, Mm. right? Especially when you are the better team, right? If you go back and you have a look at, you know, situations where like, you know, Australia in 1999 is a perfect example of didn't really play their best cricket in either of those two games against um, South Africa, but they found a way to get past them, right? You know, uh... We see that in World Cups again and again. Teams working out how to be, you know, how to get past certain situations, how to handle, um, you know, the, the opposition and work their way through, even when the toss goes against them, even when they make a mistake at the toss, even when the conditions are not in their favor. That is how you have to win a World Cup because that's what knockout games are. And, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with what Sanjay said. As you said, he might have phrased it um, slightly incorrectly, but there's nothing wrong with what he said. But that's also missing the point. Mm -hmm. right of um a A, australia made the most out of that toss but b there was at at one stage the conditions actually did swing back in favor of india which we'll talk about later yeah and australia still remained on top in that Mm. particular game so you have to credit you have to credit the australians um for that and also have to say that india played a large part in their own um, uh, problems here even if the pitch was
1: tricky and it was and we'll get into right right into that actually because uh, like you mentioned, you know the popular narrative is that India choked in all of this. But you know the truth is that this is probably one of the best ODI units ever assembled, which did not go on to lift the cup, and that's why we're having this podcast essentially, right? Yeah. Now uh, you have repeatedly spoken off, and anyone who listens regularly to your work will know of the Evan Gulbis effect, right? And by having Mohammed Shami batting at eight, India did kind of succumb to the Evan Gulbis effect. So just in case some of our listeners or viewers are not aware of what this phenomena is, please enlighten them, Jared.
2: I'll try and do it as quickly as possible. I already <laughs> realized in the draft for this piece, I probably need to slip it down a little bit. <laughs> Essentially, Evan Gulbis was one of those people who probably never plays much cricket professionally if it wasn't for the Big Bash. Um, but he had a particular skill set where he could bowl. I don't even know what sort of a cricket he... he he's kind of like... Your bargain basement version of Dan Christian, hmm. right? Where he does everything that Dan Christian does, but not quite on the level of Dan Christian. Like he bowls a bit faster than most media, uh, than most, you know, fifth and six bowlers do, but he's not really a frontline bowler. He can bat, but he's probably at best, uh, you know, a good number eight or a handy number seven, um, can pinch hit occasionally, but not a star at that, but a very good fielder as well.
1: Would you say he qualifies as a bits and pieces cricketer or do we have to call Sanjay again? for that one
2: no he's definitely <laughs> a bits and pieces group I, I don't think evan Goldbus would uh, argue with that right like yeah. there, there's no if if evan gold just was a bowler or just was a batter he would got n- nowhere near cricket hmm. right it's the combination of all those things and the fielding so the melbourne stars when i first started talking to them about him years ago they basically mentioned the fact that uh they called him a three-tool player which hmm. is a baseball term right because they were looking at him as we can, he's handy in the field, he's handy with the bat, he's handy with the ball, right? They knew he wasn't very good with any of those. Anyways, he goes on to play, um, you know, a career where, it, you know, I'm like one of seven people who remember Evan Goffers, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, he plays his last game, I think it's the uh, 2018, 2019 uh, Big Bash semi final. plays a game where he's listed at batting at number eight. Melbourne Stars use six bowlers. He doesn't bowl and he doesn't bat. Right, mm. proper Shardul Takua type game right and um, that's the semi-final and the stars win easy and then for the final they're like well we didn't even use Evan last game right so we don't need to pick him for the final we'll bring in Jackson Bird Jackson Bird comes in for the final takes two early wickets bowls beautifully they move Adam Zampa up to number um, eight he ends up making runs so on paper mm. right they completely cover Evan Gulbis. Yeah, right? but Melbourne Stars lose that game. And the reason they lose that game is I think uh, Dan Christian and Tom Cooper pushed the score up to about 137, right? Bit of a tricky wicket, but 137, well under par. The Stars' openers are Ben Dunk and Marcus Stoinis, right? So one famous around the world and the other more famous in Pakistan. <laughs> um, and they put on a huge opening partnership. But I think Ben Dunk's strike rate is 120. And Stoinis goes at a runner ball, right? And there is absolutely no doubt that they were looking at that scoreboard and looking at who was batting at number eight. And they played the majority of their games that year. They had people like Liam Plunkett batting at number eight. They even had a guy called Nick Larkins, who's a really good first-class batter, as a specialist batting at number eight in some games. Mm. And they're looking up going, the only way we can lose this is if we're bowled out, right? So we'll just go as deep as we can. And then eventually we've got Glenn Maxwell, Peter Hanskin, um, uh, and uh, Dwayne Bravo later on. They can catch up for us. But they get so stuck. And of course, what happens is they lose a bunch of quick wickets. Maxwell goes out. And in the end, Adam Zamper is the one at number eight who has to hit them towards victory <laughs> and they lose the game. And I predicted this. I was the analyst <laughs> this you <thing, laughs> right? I predicted this happening the minute I saw Goldbus wasn't in that side, right? Just because. I did, it didn't matter for me. So we, they had Goldbus, they had Stoinis, and they had Maxwell mm. as the, the, the kind of uh, um, uh, bits and pieces bowlers, right? And they just looked at it and went, well, Maxwell and Stoinis can do Goldbuss' role, so we don't need him. That was fine with the bowling, and they didn't need him with the bowling, but with the batting, it just meant that the openers went that little bit too slow, got themselves into a rut. And to be fair to the Renegades, they bowled beautifully, uh, yeah, Harry Gurney and I think it was um, Kane Richardson bowled absolutely uh, perfectly. But the truth is that there's no way Marcus Stoinis would ever score to a run a ball in a game like that if he felt a little bit more comfortable about what was to come afterwards, right? He would have pushed his, his foot down a little bit more. So the Evan Gulbus effect is, and, and you've got to remember, you're getting a lot of extra details here, but when T20 cricket started getting analysed and, you know, started getting money bowled and all this sort of stuff one thing that a lot of analysts and i think even i might have said this early on was number seven faces like eight balls on average so why are you spending all this money on a number seven who can bat and why are you worrying about who can bat at number eight right and it wasn't until i started to work with teams directly and i started to listen to them talk that i actually realized really why it was important and it was also my time with rcb of um you know, having discussions about Virat's batting, and you realize how Virat bats with different partners. And when he looks at the order, right? And, you know, we'll come on to KRL, is exact, as exact, said the exact same things publicly. You realize that these guys are looking at the order, they mm. are looking down, and they are making decisions early on based on what might happen later on. Mm. And so, for me, the easiest way to explain it is the Evan Golbus effect. I mean, no one, you know, he's not a cricketer who's going to go down in, in history as a legend, Mm. so it's nice to name something after him. But it's a real thing and it doesn't affect everyone because as we saw in this game, Rohit Sharma did not care that Muhammad Shami was batting at number eight. It did not enter his brain and there are plenty of players who do think that way and, you know, Glenn Maxwell is probably never, Glenn Maxwell doesn't worry about what happens after Glenn Maxwell. Right? Yeah, He's Glenn Maxwell and he's going to bat like Glenn Maxwell. But that is not the case with all batters and there are some batters who will look up at the batting order and, you know, as a club cricketer, I've been in games where once it was once I kind of got it, I thought started thinking back to my, my career. And I remember a game where I was playing where we had, and this has happened multiple times, but I remember a game where we had no batting after number five. I think I came in at first drop and I hit about three fours early on and I was feeling it. And then I was like, I can't keep chasing this hmm. because if I go out uh, and we lose one more wicket, we have no batting. Yeah. So I had to clamp up and b- play a different style of game. This is a very real thing. And it's, it's one of those things that is very hard to quantify. Hmm. Um, but I definitely think it played a part in India losing this game.
1: Yeah. And like you pointed out, you know, it would impact different batters differently. And basically, you know, long story short, the Evan Gulbis effect is the psychological or potential psychological impact a batter could face by not having security at number eight right and uh, it could be number seven as well i should say that
2: we've seen that all together in fact i remember australia a playing years ago when they had a a weird experimental team and they said that like the top five got together and said we have to make all the runs Hmm. because we don't trust the number six right so this is a thing that is going on you know it's not just about the number eight position it can be number seven we saw it with South Africa. Mm. I think part of the success of the South African team came from the fact that they hadn't, before Marco Jansen, they
1: had no one at number seven they trusted, yeah. right? And so they, they got together as a top six and went, we have to make all the runs. Anyway, another theory with respect to India losing ICC knockout games over the last decade is that they become defensive with both bat and ball come knockout games. Now, you know, uh, according to Bharat Sundarisen, who wrote a piece on this, uh, the one guy Australia really wanted to get out quickly was Shreyas. He was the one who dominated the team talks and they were really wanting to get him, you know, back in the hut quickly because look, against spin, he was literally, you know, those straight sixes were out of hell. He was massacring spin and his, his rate of scoring was really out otherworldly towards the end of this, uh, back end of this tournament. Also, Rohit was in rampage mode and Shubman Gill by design goes at overrun a ball, even though it doesn't really look like it, but he just has that natural pace. So Australia basically wanted both KL and Kohli out there early. And like you mentioned, KL in the past in IPL seasons has mentioned how, you know, if he just bats deep, he can go and explode later. And how, um, you know, not having enough security in the batting order is one of the reasons why that happens. And also Virat Kohli versus South Africa. He, coughs Kofs and Gulbis, literally admitted mm-hmm. to it, right? That he yeah. went slower in that innings because he did not have enough faith in the lower order. So, this really is where Australia won the tactical battle, you would have to say, with respect to limiting India's first innings total, which was essential with respect to them winning that final.
2: Yeah. I, and it, what was interesting to me was that Australia was that on top of it. Hmm. Um, I had written a piece uh, where I think I took the conversations that you, me, and Estelle had, and I sort of put it together of a few different ways that Australia could win the game. Hmm. And I, 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 if you have a look, I think it was option four that I came up with is this almost essentially what Australia used to win, win the game. And I thought that was one of the least likely ones. Yeah. But Australia didn't feel that way. And going back and listening to you know, what Barrett had to say and, and everything else, you, you realize that. But then once I actually put it all together, I was like, actually, it makes sense. Virat Kohli had said early in the tournament, and we had already proven that he had scored slower um, in this tournament when Shadul Takur was not playing compared to when, uh, uh, shadow Tako was playing. Right. Mm. Um, and on top of that, so the K. L. role thing you said as well, you go back, certainly when he was at Kings 11, whichever other side he was at, um, uh, that he was playing for as well. He, he was really clear going, you're all having, you're all saying I'm batting too slow, but our batting isn't very deep and we don't mm-hmm. trust it. Literally, as you said, he was saying the Evan Goldbiss out loud. Right. Yeah. And so Australia, clearly thought that they could put pressure on those two guys. Now, if you look at this tournament, you would have to say that that's a risky thing to do because both mm-hmm. of those players could have easily made hundreds and kicked on at the end and Australia would have looked like idiots. Mm-hmm. Remember, it was literally those two players who beat Australia in that first game with their innings. So, the fact that Shreyas Iyer is a difference maker because I don't think you can keep him down by just bowling spin, mm-hmm. right? So, most players in the world if you bowl, you know, Spin, you can at least keep them to less than a runner ball or, you know, a strike rate of 85, 90. Shreya Sire is not like that, right? And, you know, is probably certainly the best scorer of spin in the world, but maybe one of the best players of spin um, in the world as well. Um, you know, so combined, you can't really get him out and he's going to score quickly. So it was interesting that they were so clear on that plan, that they had to get Shreya Sire out. One thing I would say is, like, having worked for a lot of teams, in fact, going back to that. That um, game, the, if you go back and have a look at um, uh, the Melbourne Stars, Melbourne Renegades final that they lost that we were talking about before, almost I had a plan of how we would win that game um, and for 75% of the game, it went exactly to plan and then we still lost that game. <laughs> so, and, and, and many times you, you come up with a plan and nothing happens, anything in, like your plan and you still win easily, right? So, it, it probably looks a little bit more special that it all went the way that they wanted. But the truth is that they did believe that Virat and and Kale would go slow. And Mm. then Virat and Kale completely reverted to type there. And I I think Kale Rowell is one of the most interesting players in the world. He's maligned often for the wrong things, I think. (laughs) Um, Again, he made runs in a big pressure game, by the way. um, And that was one thing he wasn't supposed to be able to do. But the thing he should be maligned for more is that he has the ability to score at one and a half runs per ball, Mm -hmm. and too often, he decides to score at half of that, right? Mm. And, and I think Virat is very similar. Not, I don't think he slows down quite as much as KL, although he has at times. But again, these guys could score so much quicker than they do. And the real problem with that partnership from a scoring perspective wasn't that they scored slow. It's that they didn't put any pressure back on Australia yeah. at any point, right? They didn't look for twos and they couldn't look for twos because they weren't looking for boundaries right and this is why you know when people say to me oh can't you just score a lot of um twos it's it's very hard to score twos when the other team doesn't think you're going to score a boundary because they will creep in off the boundary Mm. they will cut off all the angles suddenly you're in a bad place but it really was a combination there of Mm. coley had no problem scoring singles Kl did get stuck scoring singles a few times, um, but neither of them looked like scoring boundaries and neither of them looked like scoring twos. And they put no pressure on Cummins' fields or his mini bowling changes. Mm. And that's the one other thing I would say is, you know, his, his random uh, roulette bowling changes, which again goes back to the Melbourne Stars Was uh, Maxwell was one of the first players I saw to do that for that season that we, we lost that final. Um, why I thought that was a genius idea against these two is that they want to bat on autopilot, right? And it's very hard to bat on autopilot when the bowlers are changing every over. But once you realize that's what the opposition are doing, again, you have to actually make a choice. Mm-hmm. And it felt like um, Vera and Kale decided not to make any choices mm-hmm. and just to bat as long as they could. Um, and of course, that all gets unstuck when they don't bat as long as they could. As a cricket fan, you know the most important time of the calendar is here, when the Southern Hemisphere aligns with so much cricket. So if you're busy watching all those matches, let me suggest Factor, a ready-to-eat meal delivery service that can help you with your breakfast, which is the only important meal, and also lunch and dinner if you need it, with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door 35 plus weekly flavor packed fresh never frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences all delivered right to your door ready to eat in two minutes eat breakfast items like their delicious apple cinnamon pancakes bacon and cheddar egg bites and potato bacon and egg breakfast skillets these people We'll send bacon and eggs to your home while you watch a test match. This is the dream, people. So if you are looking for meals at home these holidays while you prepare for the most important day of the year, Boxing Day, head to FactorMeals.com/Inca50 and use the code Inca50 to get 50% off. That's code Inca50 at FactorMeals.com/Inca50 to get 50% off. That's half-price Boxing Day meals. Stuff them in your mouth without missing a ball.
1: Which is what's so fascinating to me, right? Like, I'm imagining what that team talk was like in the war room when they were planning for this game, right? We get Shriyas, and then we have India right where we want them, on the back foot. And it's evident, you know, Kohli uh, got off to a decently quick start, especially if you compare his starts in to other games in this tournament. He got three quick boundaries, and then, like you said, he just went into his risk-averse shell where he wasn't bothered, and just took his singles. And KL too, like, There are two sides to the KL Rahul innings, right? One is that he did soak in the pressure and he stuck it out there and he Mm. scored 66 runs. And had he not scored those runs, maybe India would have folded even quicker. But the other side is that, of course, 66 runs of 107 deliveries is, without a doubt, painstakingly slow. And it is evidence, both of these things, of the Evan Gulbis effect in full flow. Like, this is not a theory at this point. This is what happened. And it might not be the biggest or only reason why India lost this game, but it was re- really a key, uh, you could say, facet of this battle that took place. And I get the school of thought that, hey, let's stick it out over here and let's not t- take risks right now so that we can go for it later. But that did not pay off for India at all. And there was well, point- I think, yeah, I think to be fair to them,
2: they would have expected one of those guys to make 100. Yeah. And why would they not expect one of those guys to make 100 when- they both have top 10 batting averages of all time in ODI cricket, right? Mm. Like, it makes sense. And, I, um, you know, I, I did the research that India make a, a, a plus 75 score, yeah. you know, have a player score over 75 virtually every game between in the last four years, right? Mm. It's very rare for them to have a game when no one scores over 75 unless they're like chasing 111 or something, right?
1: <laughs> I actually <laughs> yeah. have those stats in front of me. So last Go, four re- years, prior to yep. the World Cup, 74 ODIs India have played. On 73 occasions, at least one batter has scored 75. And out of, or in the history of ODI cricket, out of all the batters who have scored a minimum of 2,000 runs, 10 average over 50. Two of them are KL Rahul and Virat Kohli. So you'd really think that one of these guys will explode at one point and India will somehow get 300. And if they had 300 on the board, it's a totally different ball game, right? Which makes this final... All the more ridiculous, like it's an anomaly of outrageous proportions, because the highest score was Kale Rahul's 107-ball 66. Yeah, and and I, so I, I think
2: that it's easy to look back and go, well, K- Kale and 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 Virat didn't kick on, especially Virat. Okay, he was out quite early when you think about it. Didn't kick on, um, and so the Evan Goldbus effect was the major major hmm. factor. And and I'm not saying it didn't play a part here. Um and how slow they played and also the, the pitch and we'll get to the pitch a little bit more um mm-hmm. in, in, in the next bit. But um but but the other I think the other thing that is really, really worth remembering here is that if India if those two had kicked on and they both made hundreds, India probably make minimum what, two sixty, two seventy. Um that's a lot more pressure on Australia. Chances are they make even more than that and they get up towards two eighty, two ninety, even at that point. Yeah. Um, and because of that, they probably win the game hmm? and would anyone be going on about how slow they scored? Right. And so a lot of these things, and this is why I rem- do you remember we did a podcast and people got really upset with the ifs and buts, right? Yeah. The ifs and buts are why I do what I do <laughs> because it's very good team win, bad team lose. That's not actually how sport works. Yeah. Quite often you will have a team who has played much better than the opposition but they're not very good. And so they actually still manage to find a way to lose the game or the opposite happens or both teams play absolutely brilliant, but one wins and the other one loses, right? Mm-hmm. Or there's a, f- a fluke confluence of, of events that happen or whatever that may be. And, and why I really want to do this particular piece is because I didn't want it just to be India Choke and Australia Superpower. Mm-hmm. I wanted to show all the different things that happened, And the truth is, that if Virat Kohli gets the inside edge and instead of going back onto his stumps, it hits his thigh pad, <laughs> right? There's a very good chance that India make a lot more runs, feel yeah. a lot more comfortable, and go into that, the second part of the game in a completely different headspace, right? Um, and they could have very much won the game. Doesn't mean that the conditions still wouldn't have been against them, right? Mm-hmm. Or anything else. Doesn't mean that they wouldn't have batted too slow. Doesn't mean yeah. that they shouldn't have put more pressure on Australia in those middle overs. But that is just how cricket is. And people don't want to accept mm-hmm. that these things happen because they just want it as black and white. And of course, in, a, in especially in a podcast like this, we could not be any more gray.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The gray area is where it's at. And it's interesting, you also pointed out the parallel between the scoring rates or combined scoring rates of the KL and Kohli partnership and the Head and Manus partnership. And they're not too dissimilar. The only difference is that Head went on a run and it just lasted longer. And Australia weren't under that pressure of scoring quickly at all. Whereas India always had that cloud hanging over their head that, oh, we do have to go after it at some point. And I think it's really interesting because, sure, they consolidated and they wanted to rebuild and everything. But, you know, in the 37th over of Glenn Maxwell, Australia's fifth bowler, KL Rahul, who was well set by this time, got one run of five deliveries. So clearly, he was done mentally and and clearly uh, it had taken a toll on him because... That plan was backfiring and the pressure was mounting. And like you mentioned, Cummins using seven bowlers in that 10-over period, 16th to 25th over, which again is quite unprecedented. How much of it was conditions and how much of it was, you know, the pressure? Yeah, look, I think you're batting first in a World Cup.
2: You've lost a couple of wickets. You're on a tricky pitch, right? Hmm. It was not an easy pitch to score on. Uh, and, and I think that has to be factored in. It's, so australia had a much easier pitch to score on than india had australia had other issues with their pitch because they were you know under lights with the ball nipping around and everything so um they had they had other things that they had to overcome but they had a much the ball just came onto the bat far better when australia were batting than it did for india there's you can't deny that it was just obvious absolutely um and uh and and then as you said they knew the chase right so um, everything was in their advantage but yeah look I do think the pressure um, got to them a little bit hmm. um, but on top of that the situation got to them like yeah. as in especially with KL when he slows down that is because I can't remember if they were four wickets down or, yeah I think they were five wickets down in when, when that 37th over right hmm. he's facing Glenn Maxwell who let's be honest KRL should just be able to heave over the leg side at any stage right He's got Sky at the other end. He's got 13 overs to go. And so he is batting completely to that situation. The problem being that, again, there was no pressure put back on mm. Australia. So Australia got away with a near maiden uh, without really having to do anything. All they had to do was roll out their fifth best bowler, get him to bowl some darts at leg stump, and they got away with a maiden. And that is which it was too easy for Australia on too many occasions. Because mm-hmm. I actually, this is going to sound weird. I. I think that Mac, um, that Cummins went in with the plan of changing all those bowlers mm. and actually on that pitch might have been better off bowling Mitchell Marsh more, uh, more up front when mm. the conditions were in his favor. Um, and, you know, at times he wasn't like he was yanking people out of the attack when they were bowling well. And <laughs> I was like, I get it. I see what you're doing <laughs> here. And, and ultimately he won the game, so that's fine. But I was sitting there going, Mitch Marsh is bowling so well, you can just steal a bunch of Mitch Marsh overs here but yeah. none of that mattered because India never put any pressure back on and by the time you get to the 37th over that isn't that isn't a case of the gobbles effect at that point right mm. it's the case of even if they had a stronger a strong number 8 at that point they're five wickets down in the 37th over mm. and they've got a defensive bowler up against them yeah and kale was in such a defensive mind frame by that point mm. that he wasn't even looking he wasn't even finding a way to put any single pressure back on australia here's an interesting um, question for me. you
1: it's a bit uh, technical i don't know the answer to it but basically what i've noticed uh, based on what i've seen from kl rahul and after observing him for all these years is that when he's in that full flowing freedom sort of mode when he's playing his shots with liberty the wrists come into play he's very strong wrists, and those wrists alone can hit some sixes is that the mind frame thing that Versus Maxwell, who you could very easily use the wrists against to kind of get underneath them, flatter trajectory, you know, use that to hit it out of the park. He didn't even think of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a Ian Chapel has, you know, gone on about this for years. But what what can happen with a batter is that once you get into a situation where you are thinking of survival, hmm. it's actually very hard to then also accumulate and. Uh, very hard to put any pressure back or to take any chances. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, especially KRL. So, KRL is one of those matters that has five gears, mm-hmm. right? If you compare that to, you know, there are many other players in the world that don't have all five gears. Doesn't mean they're not very good players. They just don't have that full tool um, mm-hmm. kit available to them. The problem with having the five gears <laughs> is that in that kind of situation, once you gear down so low, it, you almost, it's very hard for you to even get to the sort of third gear, mm. which is what he needed to be in that Maxwell over, right? Yeah. Just make sure that you get a single off the first two balls. You get back on strike, make sure you get one more single off the next two balls. You're getting yourself three to four runs off that over rather than the one run. It didn't, it, that, that over didn't need to go for 15 or anything like that. But also, if you've got a defensive bowler and you've also got a defensive mindset, mm. Right. Maxwell knows exactly where to bowl that over, right? He knows K.O. Roll. He's bowled against him many times before. We've seen him play. But he knows exactly where to bowl that over. And so the only way to really break free of that is to actually from either just go for the singles, as I said, and completely plant on the singles. But actually, the better way of doing that is to be like, well, he's going to bowl these balls roughly here. What's my best chance of hitting a boundary or looking for a two? But Kale didn't have any of that um, in his in his um, mm-hmm. in his mindset. And if you go back to Virat, Virat was exactly the same. He was better yeah. at scoring the singles, but it was exactly the same thing. Of neither of them were looking to how to score their next boundary. And mm-hmm. so you're right; there are skills that he could have used at that time to be able to do that. But what they weren't even they were they were parked somewhere mm-hmm. else, right? Yeah, he was literally looking at the, the very the basic survival thing. And once you do that you're putting yourself in a situation where you can't put any pressure back on the opposition. And realistically, as good a bowler as, uh, as Maxwell can be, you should always be looking to try and hit him for a boundary because what you want with Maxwell is you want him to do something stupid. Mm-hmm. You want him to go chasing. You want him to be out of his thing. If, if you just tell Maxwell that he could bowl six balls in the most offensive place possible, he will do that. He's A good yeah. enough bowler to be able to do that. His problem is when you actually hit one of those balls for four, or you do something different, he doesn't handle that as well because he's not a fully,
1: you know, he's not a frontline bowler. He still doesn't have yeah. those skills available to him. Regardless of what George Bailey thinks of him, of course. But um, another tactical blunder hey, by... George Bailey was right. He had a bloody good tournament. to be yeah. yeah. I mean, George Bailey won the World Cup for Australia, you know, as chief selector. So, he's going to remember this one. But another tactical blunder by India was uh, Ravindra Jadeja's promotion over Sky in the batting order. Now, India clearly did not trust or have faith in Sky, you know, batting in the middle overs under pressure. And they sent Jadeja ahead of him. Now, but that's a bit weird because Jadeja couldn't manage to break the shackles either. And he doesn't particularly enjoy attacking spin much, particularly on that sort of wicket, right? That only makes that job harder. So, you know, why not just send Sky ahead of Jadeja to potentially exert some of that pressure back on Australia? Do you think that was one of the other flaws that uh, India made in this game? So you
2: said earlier that one of the big problems with India, So India is now seen as chokers, right? Hmm. But I've looked at all these tournaments and the same thing keeps happening and it isn't choking, it's defensive mindsets, Yeah, right? And this game had exactly the same issues. Rohit did everything he could to change this team's mindset Mm -hmm. and when it came down to it, they went defensive. And the Jadasia promotion is a big part of that. So I think, and, and I'm going to throw this out and see what you, mm-hmm. if you agree. I think if Maxwell was batting at six, right, and Australia had a Jadeja at seven, Maxwell definitely would have come in next. Yeah, because C- Australia would have been like, a he can completely change this 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 moment, but b it means that there is pressure being put back on, which there hasn't. We haven't put any scoreboard pressure on this team in ages. Sky goes out there. He sweeps Maxwell, um, first ball for four. Suddenly, the whole game changes. And Mm -hmm. Shreya has to think about everything completely different. Even Mm -hmm. if he only makes 40 off 35 balls, um, uh, then Jadeja comes in. We'll be in such a better position than we would be. Whereas they went with Jadeja. And Jadeja is... So, to go back to the KL Rowell 5 gears, Jadeja doesn't have five gears, right? Mm -hmm. Jadeja is a proper... Daniel Vittori-style all-rounder. Where he probably has three gears, and he's excellent in those three gears, but it is a little bit first gear, mm-hmm. a little bit of third gear, and a little bit of fifth gear, right? Uh-huh. He doesn't really, have, doesn't really have the full – he can't ramp up and ramp down. In that situation, they really needed um, someone who could put a little bit of pressure back on. And as you said, he doesn't like spin. He doesn't feel that comfortable batting in those middle overs, and he never mm-hmm. has, right? He, he He's become such a great player at the death. Mm-hmm. Um, in T20 cricket and in one-day cricket. But he's never really been great in that earlier period. So they're throwing him in. And, of course, he reverts to first gear mode.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now it means that KL, who was already slow, has an even slower batter with him. Yeah. Right? And so they go from Virat at least scoring singles to mm-hmm. no singles at all. And it, the, the innings completely stops. Now, my idea of, thro- of, of having Sky up there Sky could have gone in, they could you know, drive or Rohit could have said to him, go out there and, and see what you can do. And mm. he could have failed third ball, right? Yeah. But that would have been a proactive move. What they made mm. was a defensive move. And I think they do that too much in knockout games. And it complete well, what did he make? Nine
1: of twenty six? Something like that. 26? Maybe nine of it, nine of twenty two, I think.
2: Yeah, it was it was such a, you know, a slow and, and torturous um mm. uh, you know, innings. Um, in fact, I've got it right in front of me. I don't know why I'm I'm
0: googling
2: here. <laughs> oh no, I've lost it again. Um, it was such a, a an incredibly um slow um, innings. Um, and it was it was the worst sort of worst thing that you could have happen in that situation, right? Because it was it like really a sponge
1: does... which sucks up all of the momentum and takes it away. Basically. And they didn't have any momentum, hmm. right?
0: So twenty two? You're right. Whatever they so, had.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and so you're
2: sending. Uh, and, and and I understand it. As I said, I understand what mm-hmm. they're trying to. They're, they're basically saying, "Well, Sky's not a proper one-day player." Mm-hmm. Um, and um, on top of that, you know, we you have a situation where um, we really want Sky more for the end. Although I would have argued that Jadeja is just as good at the end, no, mm-hmm. not, maybe not just as good, but it was also really good at the end. Um, but they didn't put any pressure back on Australia again. And I'm pretty sure that was the only time in this whole tournament they changed their batting lineup, and they did it in a defensive way. Um, and it got them, it was, <laughs> I, I think Sky going out and failing wouldn't have been as bad as Jadeja going out and making nine off 22 and completely stopping the momentum. And I know that sounds crazy, but, but it would have shown that they were still trying Some They were still trying to you know, fight Australia, and by bringing a G- Jadeja out, like Australia must have been over the moon when they saw Jadeja come out because Mm. they knew a bunch of dot balls were going to happen. They knew they could bowl their spinners for a lot longer. Sky would have made their spinners' life a little bit trickier at that point. And so, again, I think that was a mistake. And I think that does go back to this this overall um, thing of Mm. when the pressure is on in a knockout game, India will revert to defensive tactics. And I just think in knockout games, you've got to kind of, choke the other team out and i don't think india managed to do that enough
1: and it's interesting because they hadn't really seen those pressure 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 situations all tournament Mm. because they were coasting right they were just steamrolling other teams and they hadn't really seen that kind of adversity and the first instance where they did they did go a bit on the defensive and my issue with this is that, you know, we talk about Sky being there in the team in that Joss Butler type of role. Now, Joss Butler would get a promotion in England's batting order in ODI cricket at Times, but never a demotion. It's never going to happen, right? You'll never see it. Mm. And we did see that with Sky. And what you did essentially is also remove Jadeja from his role. And he wasn't particularly doing great with the bat in the build-up to this World Cup. But in the World Cup, he had some good knocks. Some quick-fire 30s and in, 40s. In, playing in that death-batting role, right? Exactly. So why would you mess with that? Maybe even if Sky fails, Jadeja comes in good because he's in that same kind of mind frame. And if you go back to the semi-final versus New Zealand that India lost in 2019, Jadeja played quite well, right? So Mm. just, you know, messing around with those roles and even, uh, I, you didn't mention this, but I think that opening the bowling with Shami too, that didn't make much sense to me because Siraj was better utility with the new ball, in my opinion
2: yeah I mean that's right I, I mean you're right that should be in because it was something I talked about a lot during mm. uh during the World Cup previously um yeah I think they ruined Siraj again again another defensive move that looks like an attacking move right mm. but actually what they're saying is we don't quite trust Siraj with the new ball under pressure yeah. and if you look at look at Australia right mm. where they kind of did the opposite they they could have easily um when when the when the new ball was moving around, they could have moved Steve Smith up the order and moved Mitch Marsh down. Um, you know that they could have got. Mm. You know, no one expected Mitch Marsh to make a lot of runs in that kind of situation. Um, they made attacking moves with their bowlers all the way through. As I said, maybe I would almost say they went too far. They completely trusted Mitchell Stark,
0: mm.
2: right? Even though he had a really poor tournament, um, they uh, trusted Pat Cummins. Right, they weren't hiding Pat Cummins off, or, or you know, uh, or anything like that. Um, it's the complete opposite, really, of what India did all the way yeah. through. Uh, uh, so, in this game of in this when India had, yeah, sorry, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, when India had decisions to make, they went with the defensive options uh, time and time again. I just don't think it's how you win. It, uh, so, my my problem with the way that Australia played at the start of this tournament was Australia was basically playing in a way which was allowing the other team to do what they do and then Australia hoping what they did was slightly better, right? Mm. And when I talked to the Australian team, that was kind of one of the things I said. I said, you have to take wickets, mm. right? You have to put pressure back on these other teams because when you were playing South Africa and New Zealand and England and Pakistan, and India, and you know, all those really good teams, if you don't put pressure back on them, a lot of those players from those teams just go in autopilot, right? Yeah. If you don't put pressure on Muhammad Nawaz, neither of us think Muhammad Nawaz, I can't believe I got his name right, but um, <laughs> neither of us think Muhammad Nawaz is a great player. But if you don't put pressure on Muhammad Nawaz, he's going to get one for 45, hmm. right? Just on autopilot. He knows where to put the ball. He's a smart cricketer. Um, you know, he's going to do that. If you don't put pressure on Muhammad Nawaz as the batter, he's going to get you 25 of 25 hmm. balls, right? That that's one of the weaker players in all those teams I just mentioned, yeah. And he has the skills to be able to do that. There is a sense that you have to beat these teams, and Mm -hmm. I think if you go back to South Africa, it's a real reason why South Africa has struggled at times as well. South Africa kind of let the game go, um, and then uh, you know, and then uh, and play it that way. Whereas if you go to Australia, you know, recent England, you know, Pakistan at their best, those are teams that just come at you. Mm. right and you know they might you might still end up in a scrap and they might lose some games and everything else but they come at you to win I don't think India in the um you can almost say even the second half of that innings against New Zealand I'm not sure that for the final three innings of this tournament India did that yet for all the innings before that that's how they were playing. they were coming at teams really really hard they were backing every single player right mm. and then when it got Horsh came to shove, they kind of lost a little bit of patience with maybe um, Siraj. Um, mm. y- y- Yadav wasn't bowling as well. So I wouldn't say they lost patience with him. And then they weren't as sure with Sky. Um, and suddenly they're in this situation where they didn't trust their batting order um, mm. because of, of Shami. All these things that, shouldn't really have been an issue suddenly all became an issue yeah. and I do think a big part of that is this thing that keeps happening to them and I don't know how to change it because I thought after the last world cup that was it hmm. Raul and Rohit Sharma the backroom staff a lot of the players got together and they were like this is it we're not going to do this again and yeah. then for 10 and a half games <laughs> they did exactly what they should have done and then it reverted at the end and if you look at If you go back and follow what I was saying at the start of the tournament, Bayram, I kept saying, and Cheyenne couldn't understand why I kept going on about this, right? Uh, Cheyenne, who works with us, obviously. Mm -hmm. I kept saying that my thing is that eventually I think they will revert. But even I stopped saying that because Rohit had convinced me the way that he played that they were just going to keep going and keep going, right? Um, And then suddenly
1: it all fell apart. To be fair to Rohit, he personally did keep going yeah. and he didn't let anything in him. Oh, no, him. no. I mean, I'm, yeah. you can't you can't say it was him. Although,
2: Judasia still went in and Siraj yeah. didn't bowl. So, S- even Rohit must have buckled at a certain point. You can't blame Dravid for both of those decisions, can yeah, you? Yeah, yeah.
1: No, no, no. I mean, that's what I'm trying to say is that Rohit the batter was unfazed. But Rohit yeah. the skipper, clearly, you know, it got to him because we, you know, in several podcasts and in pieces as well, we're talking about how India's role clarity is on point. Everyone understands their role to perfection and is executing it accordingly. And here you've messed with people's roles. You know, Shami yeah. is supposed to be first change. Siraj is supposed to be opening the bowling. That didn't happen. Jadeja got promoted. You know, you went a touch too slow in the middle, not looking for any boundary whatsoever, even twos, like you said. So the role clarity was all muddled as soon as pressure came into the picture. And like you said, they, you know, almost intrinsically reverted back to their defensive mode. And you could make a solid case that that did cost them the World Cup. And I don't know if you caught this tweet or not, but uh, there was a Sky innings in the recent T20 that someone had said that, oh, look, Sky is all class. And I co-tweeted it with saying that, but, he can't, but can he do it on a dry afternoon in Ahmedabad? So that, that riled up like 10% of all of India. And uh, no one understood the Stoke City pun. But Sky, of course, is undoubtedly an elite explosive player, right? We yeah. all know this. And he also copped a fair bit of criticism in this match because he was sluggish and couldn't really get bat on ball and I think got one boundary in seven attempts. How much of that was due to conditions and how much of that was Australia actually using the conditions perfectly because those slower bounces by Josh Hazelwood, that was pretty much the perfect plan versus Sky. I
2: mean, it was. Um I just think Sky is such an incredible striker. So... One of the reasons he's so impossible to face in T20 cricket is his ability to, every time he wants to hit a boundary, he almost hits a boundary. Hmm. And that's just not a normal thing that other players do, right? Like, you know, for some players, it can take like two and three ba- boundary attempts to hit a boundary. Mm-hmm. And Sky, I think it's like 1.4 attempts for every boundary, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an incredible number. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Monday cricket, I think it's like two. Um, he needs two attacking shots for one boundary. So again, running at a 50% ratio, which is, for a one-day player, is incredible. He he tried seven <laughs> proper boundary attempts from from what I saw and hit one boundary. Now, you're right. I think the slow-ball bouncer played a part, but I think the pitch just played a part, right, by mm-hmm. that point. And yeah. so the one thing I would definitely, and to go back to the Sanjay's point, there's no doubt that that pitch played a big part in that. Of It was very, very hard um, to do that. I think we can all make many arguments that India could have put pressure on Australia um, mm. in other ways that would have allowed them to at least still score more freely. But the fact that when Sky was trying to go, he still couldn't go, yeah. I think does tell you that the conditions are playing uh, you know, a, a much bigger part in that. Well, I mean, I looked it up before. I've now lost my um, thing. But his strike rate would have been um, one of the lower ones as well, right? Like it wasn't like, he had a great straight oh, ice right here. I think he was 18,
1: 18 of thirty, something like that.
2: Yeah, eighteen of twenty eight with one ah, boundary. There right? we go. So so again, um, again you had a player who um, uh, who wanted to hit the ball very hard, who couldn't. So I think that you have to you have to actually you know trust in that. The other thing is that like Mohammad Shami had a strike rate of sixty as well. Mm -hmm. Mohammad Shami is a dirty slogger, right? Like (laughs) he's a bloke who's trying to hit the ball very hard over and over again. Um, And again, he struggled a little bit on that pitch. So I do think that it was tough, but Australia still bowled very well on that Mm -hmm. pitch, and as you said, came up with the right plans for the right for the batters um, at each stage. And in some ways, Australia got an ideal pitch for i mean they'd probably rather have you know a seeming pitch and have Mm. Hazelwood and cummins um go all over india but they had an ideal pitch for that kind of if if we want to stop india scoring that's a really really good surface to do that because once that those balls got soft it became very very hard and because of india's propensity to to gear back Mm. um and then the fact that they sent jadeja in um Maybe if Sky goes in when the spinners are bowling a little bit more mm-hmm. or um, early on, he bats a little bit differently, but it was not an easy pitch, I think, to score on yeah. at, at that point, especially if you hadn't been in for very long. What did we say he faced? 28 balls. So he wasn't, mm-hmm. he wasn't in for a, you know, a huge amount of time either.
1: Yeah, and I mean, of course, no one's doubting that India got the worst of the conditions, uh, particularly when it comes to batting. And uh, another less talked about detail, which is also kind of related to the conditions because, of course, dry conditions, you know, uh, bring about reverse swing. And Australia got some reverse swing, right? Uh, They extracted that and uh, basically KL and Jadeja, both those wickets were a result of the ball reverse swinging. And I think... In this World Cup, we saw this on a fair few occasions and no one was expecting that, right? Everyone was thinking, oh, reverse swing in ODIs, that's dead. But we probably saw a lot more of it than we expected to in this entire World Cup.
2: Yeah, I think looking back, we probably had some occasions where we had this amount of reverse swing, which is not a lot, but it's enough, hmm. right? Yeah. But in other situations, the pitch was so good that you 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 could put pressure back on the bowlers and it and it didn't it didn't destroy you. Hmm. And I think what happens there, is, what happens in this particular situation, is that they're not putting any pressure. So Australia is essentially bowling reverse swing, like in a Test match, right? Mm. They're bowling line and length reverse swing, and and that causes and that causes the issue because um, you're not putting any pressure back, and that goes back to the thing we've talked about all the way through. But at the same time, I don't think Australia got a lot of reverse swing in this World Cup. I don't think Australia have got a lot of reverse swings since Sandpaper Gate, right? (laughs) So I don't think you would be, I don't think that was, you know, I mean, it's one of the reasons, Mitchell Stark, remember in the middle of this tournament was like, we need to get rid of these two new balls. This is terrible, right? (laughs) And then ends up reverse swinging the ball in the final. So Mm -hmm. even the Australians weren't really expecting that to happen and they probably got more, but I do think it was a combination of also just that they could bowl it on a good line of length without having any, it's not like you could just punch it through the line a couple of times and get a four. Yeah. um, or slog one away, like it wasn't that, well, they weren't in that sort of m- match situation. They hmm. certainly weren't in that kind of headspace and they weren't on that kind of pitch. So that three thing allowed Australia to probably bowl that whatever it was, five overs um, period uh, where they went for it. And to be fair to Australia, again, talking about, you know, there were people earlier in this World Cup laughing um, at Pat Cummins's captaincy and saying what a genius Rohit was. Pat Cummins got it exactly right. He bowled Mitchell Stark out quite early mm-hmm. because he wanted those extra wickets and he wanted to, him to be bowling when the reverse swing was on. Usually, you would want Mitch Stark to probably bowl, you know, uh, f- further into the death. And they, you know, and Pat Cummins backed himself um, to be able to do that job. So again, another like micro decision that he made that came mm-hmm. off.
1: Yeah, a lot of his micro decisions came off, but also you know just the fact that the entire bowling attack turned up. Now you and I. Prior to the semifinals, I remember in Uncovered was saying that Australia cannot win this World Cup just on the back of Adam Zampa because they were heavily reliant on Zampa's leg spin in the round robin stage and their paces minus Josh Hazelwood to a certain extent just weren't you know existent. They were non-existent and uh, yeah, they were having a nightmarish World Cup. But come knockout games, they they bring out their best and yeah, it's just uh, could not have timed timed it more perfectly, could they?
2: <laughs> no, I you know I think. Zampa having a bad game in Australia winning this World Cup is is actually quite sad for him, right? Because yeah. um, he'd been so good all the way through. And you I know, mean, finally... one
1: for 46 is not a bad game.
2: No, but I mean, when you've taken 48,000 wickets in the rest <laughs> of the World Cup. Like, he, put it this way, he's not going to get a lot of credit for the actual win, whereas mm-hmm. actually it was his form that carried them through um, yeah. so, so effortlessly at times. But you're right. Again, you, you this is the first time that all three scene bowlers, frontline scene bowlers, bowl well in the same game. And it tells you that how many things had to come against India for that to yes, happen. Because even in the previous game, certainly Cummins went for runs, but I think Stark might have.
1: He got a three for. He got a three for in the semi and a three for in the final.
2: No, he got three for, But did he go for runs in that game? Or was it Hazelwood that went for runs? I can't remember. I think it was but, Hazelwood. But even in the pr-
1: runs in that game. Yeah,
2: but so, even in that game, Hazelwood wasn't particularly good right mm. so so you go through all the way th- and it just was Australia never had a situation um where all their bowlers were on top at the same time, and as you said, Zampa was fine right mm. um in a low scoring game, his figures are probably not spectacular but but he wasn't terrible, but yeah if it um Yeah, sorry, it was Cummins, was it? So, yeah, Cummins in the semi final. He took three wickets, but went at over fives in a game uh, where the the score was like 212, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, um, and Zampa also went for runs in that game against South Africa. So, this is the first time when all four of their bowlers didn't go for any runs at all, all four of their frontliners, and that the three seamers all were good on the same day. And, I mean, what do you do about that? Come and set sh- a as you said at the start. Come and
1: set a shit World Cup, and then suddenly he was great. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the whole final holistically, you know, uh, India go off to flyer, and then Australia get those quick wickets, right? They've got three wickets at 80 runs, and uh, yeah, they've basically executed that plan. Got higher quickly. They have India where they want them, and now India going at snail pace, and Australia restrict them to 240. Odd bowlers have a field day. All of that then Travis Head plays a blinder. And, you know, the Evan Gulbis effect and all of that, of course, is a major bit. But the point is that so many things had to happen in unison for India to botch this World Cup final in Australia to pull off the one of the greatest heists we've seen in World Cup cricket, at least in World Cup cricket finals, right? So, (laughs) I mean, how freaky is it? It is quite freaky. You think of it, you know, this was India's cup. Australia run away with it. And, uh, yeah, just all of these things happening together combining it's crazy um yeah look i think i think
2: that's what i wanted to talk about was mm. if you're just talking about choking or even to go back to the sanjay thing we kept bringing up mm. if you're just talking about choking all the pitches you're kind of missing the amount of things that went against india yeah in this particular um, um situation and that's probably how that's the only way to beat a team this good right Mm -hmm. like and and even within that what 65 percent of the way through this game they were still favorites
1: i mean when in they had australia at 47 for three Winwiz had them at what 52 percent i think india
2: yeah you know they Mm -hmm. looked like i mean i would have had them even higher at that stage Mm -hmm. travis head looked like he was going to get bowled almost any minute right yeah and um but all these things had to happen in order for Australia to win. The pitch had to be easier to time the ball when Australia batted, right? Mm-hmm. All those micro decisions we talked about before, all the errors that India made, all this. It, it's too easy to say they choked. Yeah. It's much better to say they made a series of bad decisions and that Australia played an absolute blinder of a game. They, this was Australia's best game of the tournament by a long distance. They did not look this good against South Africa in the semifinal. Even some of those other wins, you know, the New Zealand win and everything else, they did not look this good. Yeah. Everything came together so perfectly for this particular win. Um, and it was absolutely, you know, brilliant, um, from that perspective. Uh, I just don't like the reductionist arguments and I understand this, mm. you know, the kind of stuff we do here, Bayram, is not for everyone, mm. right? Yeah. But if you want to find the hot takes and you want the people who are just going to say India bottled it, right? <laughs> There's plenty of places out to find, uh, to find that. I just found this a really fascinating thing of how does a team as good as India lose? And when you start to look at all the individual details, it's actually incredibly fascinating. Um, And, you know, if you're an Indian fan, you may not give a shit about any of that at the moment. Mm. And that's fair. But maybe one day um, someone will find this artifact of our incredibly long chat um, (laughs) and they'll go, oh, okay, it was a bit deeper than just choking
1: absolutely and uh, yeah we kind of broke it down for you guys on how did they lose that but you let us know in the comments uh, what you think was the biggest factor in india basically losing that world cup final but that's it for this podcast thank you guys for tuning in and we'll be back with another episode of footmarks for you next week for now that is all have a good one enjoy
2: Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Senapayi and Maeda Akam both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. If you are a podcaster who happens to waffle on and you need a way to cut down your long-form content, Memento FM is here to save the day. They turn your lengthy media into bite-sized chunks for even the most time-starved audience. Start using Memento FM today.